Welcome to this week's Hotel Analyst podcast. You join Andrew Sankster, the editorial director of Hotel Analyst, and me, Chris Bound, the editor of Hotel Analyst, as we wade through the week's news and pick out the most interesting bits for you so you don't have to have a look yourself. Um, this week, we've got uh, three topics for our discussion and your delight. And the first of those is to take a look at the service department sector, and in particular, a quite interesting uh, sale and leaseback deal that has put, put down a good marker for the sector as a whole. Amington Group, who run Room 2 branded uh, properties, they like to call them hometels, not service departments. Did you get it? Hotel, home, hometel? Um, yes, they yes, have. Yes, uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, good, eh? It might stick if we keep saying it for long enough. Um, <laughs> uh, they have done a sale and leaseback on their site in Southampton. And they've managed to achieve a sub 5% yield, selling the building to Aberdeen Standard Investments for around about a 10 million pounds. Uh, and they've uh, signed a 30 year lease index linked to operate the building. The deal is important for more than just Lamington and Room 2. It's important for the whole sector because uh, people have been asking when there's going to be a decent mainstream investment deal that would demonstrate how resilient service departments have been and therefore how attractive they should be at the right price to institutional investors. And uh, I spoke to Robert Goodwin, the managing director of Room 2, who said that although they'd been needing to drop their rates a bit through 2020, through the pandemic, they had at least achieved 70% occupancy. And uh, that helped prove to the uh, people at Aberdeen Standard that this was a deal worth doing. The interesting thing was that this was a deal that uh, Lamington went out to the market in late 2019 to, to look for an investor to buy this site off them to achieve a sale lease back deal, which would just give them a marker to help with their discussions as they expand their portfolio and, and speak to other developers the deal was done just in March and then as news of the pandemic spread it got put on ice but fortunately it's gone back over the line still with all the same metrics as originally agreed there's been no Covid haircut on this one as Aberdeen came to see that the resilience of the sector was really worth uh, investing in. So good news all around Andrew. I think so. I mean, if you look at the holy trinity of investment, and that's risk, liquidity and return, it seems to me in the sort of game of three-dimensional chess to, to position assets on, on those three things, um, service departments are doing very well indeed. Um, taking them in turn, um, uh, the, the key thing it, it, uh, for um, as far as risk goes, obviously, is to de-risk, to be as, as limited um, in risk as you can be. And um, service departments have had a comparatively very good pandemic, uh, certainly compared to hotels, which were largely closed, service departments, which were in the main open. Um, profitability obviously has taken a hit, but nowhere near to the extent that um, hotels have. So it's very much a tick in terms of risk, and um, they've done very well there. Um, a, a big weak spot for um service departments and you referenced that in just your remarks just a moment ago Chris is in terms of liquidity and um, there isn't the scale of investments in there and it's a question of how easy is it to get out of your investment once you've got into it 
the presence of a blue chip institutional investor coming into the sector now in Aberdeen um, really helps, I think, um, helps that liquidity thing. And and certainly if 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 half the people who are currently talking about doing investments in service departments actually go ahead and do them, I think we're going to see um, quite a liquid marketplace. So that again, that's a, a tick box. And uh, the final bit in terms of return, again, something you referenced that sub 5% return on a provincial uh, deal um, looks very attractive, actually. What's interesting here, I think, is in terms of where service departments want to see themselves. Um, Increasingly, they don't want to be allied with short-term accommodation like hotels, but they want to be allied as a sort of more uh, sort of funky, sexier version of traditional residential, mm. where the yields are significantly tighter. Um, and if they succeed in in that, in they keep playing their three dimensional chess and pushing the <laughs> the, the, the investors in in the right way. Um, you know they there could be a big upside for the existing holders of property here so it's gonna be a very interesting one to watch i mean as this evolves i mean clearly hotels are a established asset class um residential is even more of an established asset class um and you know service departments have fallen somewhere between the two and not really been for that well understood they're trying i think to push closer now to uh residential having uh, for a long while been seen as closer to hotels so it's interesting how this this whole thing plays out and evolves yeah so and it's back in I think it was back in november that uh, i was speaking to eric jafari of uh, of service department group eden and he was he was opining that it was time there was a, a decent investment deal in the sector which could establish the fact that service departments had a had a, a value that was perhaps in some way more comparable to um the rather juicier yields that uh, that co-living uh, developments were getting and um so he was delighted when i we had a we had a chat he was delighted that it happened in fact he when i told him the uh, the yield he was sort of he, he, he sort of he was quite happy with that in uh, in london well, as, Never mind the uh, as he, yeah no as he would be with you know existing assets um very very good indeed less thrilled um they are very acquisitive so <laughs> from, a, from a buyer's perspective that's less attractive but uh, um you know I, i'm sure he'll be able to pick up assets which he can repurpose um anyway so i think that's probably the the, the great play here and it's going to be a very interesting sector to watch uh, as it, uh, it there is still a definitional thing here um you know it's clear what residential is it's clear what uh uh, mainstream hotels are and this is neither one thing nor the other so uh, I, I think uh, something which has a very clear um, uh, you know concept is going to be, be stronger and more powerful as an investment prospect and the likes of Eden um, and Room 2 um, you know a- absolutely the Lamington um, brand um, well it could be five years time we'd be talking we're just talking about home tells like they're just the thing yeah i to be honest i don't think it's particularly helpful but, um, <laughs> okay. i mean let's just you know let's just talk about it being a short let residential i think is this <laughs> okay. play is probably going to be better but i get where they're coming from um i mean that name itself suggests that they want to be more resi than they do hotel right so yeah um so who who, who knows but uh, uh interesting sector one we're going to be keeping a close eye on we're going to have a little bit of a roundup of some of the 
things that uh, the hospitality sector in the UK is doing to try and ease its cash flow crisis as uh, we still seem to be living through lockdowns um, despite the apparently magnificent pace of vaccinations going out through the population we are still locked down and we are still wondering when hospitality is going to be able to open up again so um uk hospitality the uh, trade body is concerned that one in five businesses don't have enough cash to last past february um and there's another survey came out recently which suggested that uh, more than five percent of the uk hospitality sector has already closed for good this is over 6,000 licensed businesses that have closed permanently. Um, so we're seeing kind of lots of people taking a look at what can they do. Uh, can they build their, their hotels temporarily into vaccine centres? Can they temporarily build them into um, quarantining centres for incoming, uh, incoming travellers? The money finally from their insurance policies. Well, there's a little bit of hope there. Um, but uh, and, and, and finally, are they actually going to get a little bit more forgiveness from the UK government because after all it's them that's forcing us to keep closed why can't they extend some of the uh, forgiveness schemes they've got on taxes and uh, those sort of things that's certainly the big hope for the chancellor's budget coming up at the beginning of March the bad news just keeps coming doesn't it uh UK hospitality said that uh, put out a release actually as this podcast goes out um, it's the same day as this release is officially um, unembargoed um, and 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 what UK hospitality is saying the the industry lost an average of 200 million per day in 2020 not um, a great year um, so overall there's a 54% drop in sales um, from 133 billion 133.5 billion in 2019 to just 61.7 billion in 2020 in the final quarter sales were down to 57% compared to the final quarter quarter of 2019 ouch um th- these are horrible horrible numbers I, I i think it's interesting um in in a way that that what you've just talked about there chris in, in terms of business closures mm. um it's almost surprising there's not more of them at this point um that th- this yeah. industry has has historically had a lot of particularly less perhaps um, on on the hotel side but spectacularly so on the restaurant and pub side um, there's a lot of businesses have been leaving the sector but the key reason why the net figure was so poor is because there were no startups um, unsurprisingly in 2020 I think that will change very rapidly as we as we unlock and how we unlock um, so it's going to be quite quite interesting um, now we've been here before it's you know you know as we see this is a very very fluid um environment right now the worst of uh, environments to be you know business planning for but there are reasons to be optimistic now i think you know sometimes bad news also brings silver linings and you know what we're hearing about travel restrictions actually is going to uh enhance the domestic business economy um if we take the broad numbers from 2019 we look at how many people um from uk uk citizens went out 93.1 million 
visits from UK citizens last year and that's worth 62.3 billion now coming into the UK um, foreigners overseas visitors 40.9 million um, spending 28.4 billion now this leaves a net balance of 52.2 million visits and a whopping 33.9 billion in spending now that 33.9 billion in spending which is which is up for grabs if you like which is the net balance between going out and coming in um that is significantly more than the size of the domestic british um tourism market so um now we're looking at uk numbers i'm now about to give you a number for gb so that's excluding northern ireland <laughs> um but the number in 2019 in terms of that domestic tourism spend was 24.7 billion how much of that is going to be spent now i think yeah, we we can go on, but uh, you know, as we've remarked on before, consumer balance sheets at the moment. This is a weird recession. Consumer balance sheets are actually stronger um, now than they were at the start of this pandemic. So, uh, some numbers on that specifically. The 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 Centre for Economic and Business Research um, they reckon that the average household is over seven thousand pounds better off now than they were at the start of this pandemic. It, you know what are people what are households going to do with that seven thousand quid they can't spend it on a on a overseas jaunt but they will i think be trying to spend it on travel and hospitality in the uk so theoretically we could have the mother of all booms this year um over the summer period with all that pent-up um a disposable um income consumers have with the inability to get spend it anywhere else than the uk um so i, I think it could be a, a really fantastic summer and i would just say one thing is is now the time for the industry to be shouting we need a vat cut um we need further extension any time's a good time for that right? uh, VAT cut. Well, well, well yeah maybe but you know it's not going to look good because i think any sensible business in the face of a doubling of demand mm. which is the potential yep. we have is going to be jacking up its prices yeah. as they should you know um uh, but it's gonna be you can see the daily mail headlines now you start you know vat cut not passed on businesses <laughs> profiteering etc well you know uh, in the absence of that vat cut i think that's going to be easier to weather for the industry yeah. but with a yeah. vat cut it's going to be very difficult and i think what the industry ought to be focusing on and my plea to uk hospitality and other lobbyists is to say look we we, we need to focus on the longer term future here because you know our borders will reopen again i hope sooner rather than later for the overall health of the travel and tourism economy globally at that point we are not going to have that sort of captive demand if you like in the uk and it's going to be a tougher time so what what the uk businesses ought to be doing is saying look we need some help um in terms of planning for this longer term future i mean there's stuff the businesses themselves can be doing is you know you know don't it's not just this summer it's also next summer so the canny operators are going to be doing things such as you know buy now come back in 2022 <laughs> um for a for a dis discounted rate or something there's all these sort of things that you know they ought to be thinking about because uh, I, I do think this is going to be an exceptionally bumper year next year will be probably pretty good but then there'll be a dwindling as people get back to seeking the sunshine despite global warming and everything else i don't think it's going to have that much of a transformation on our weather just yet sadly mm. now the third topic we're going to talk about a uh, european-based private equity investor 
called ActiveMSG, uh, who is just really getting revved up to uh, make a, a larger and larger play into the hotel sector and just buying physical assets. Well, they bought the, the Nobu Hotel in Barcelona the other week, so that's a fairly substantial physical asset. But they actually also bought a, an operational platform. They purchased um, a Dutch hotel operations company called Odyssey, uh, and they've it, they've brought that into one of their managed funds along with uh, the Nobu and some other hotels. Uh, so an interesting play and buying into Odyssey who are based in Holland and already have hotels around various parts of Europe gives them a, also an additional pipeline of um, ho hotels with leases already signed which will come under kind of mainstream brands. Uh, so interesting outfit Activum they've done this before they, they move into a sector and if they don't like what they see or they can't see what they like in terms of the way things are operating then they'll get in and get involved and uh, they've done it before in the residential sector in Spain where they actually developed their own housing developer because they couldn't see outfit an interesting play and from all I've heard they really like Spain they'll be buying plenty more hotels in Spain in due course to fill up their boots they've got uh, just closed their their latest fund with 550 million euros in the bag to spend that resi connection again there chris that's interesting there's a big yeah. buzz and um buildings with Absolutely. beds um if you like a bit of alliteration um <laughs> now we've just talked about the travel restrictions um in terms of international travel restrictions um in that context um i think buying a dutch uh, uh, uh leisure operation uh, makes more sense perhaps than investing right now in 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 resort hotels in southern europe because i think if if things play out as they look at the moment um as we're recording this so as we're recording this podcast the uk has just announced it's going to enforce quarantine at hotels anybody coming to the uk who's not a citizen is going to be refused entry um or or who has a reason to remain in the uk they'll be refused entry um there's a list of 22 countries on that including portugal um i suspect that that list is going to be extended and who on earth is going to be taking a risk going overseas in that environment right mm. now um you know given what we went through in 2020 when the sort of air bridges were constantly um collapsing <laughs> um and and people were rushing to airports and other ports oh, to beat deadlines um, and get back before the Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. But but I mean, at least when you got back and you missed the deadline. I mean, I I, I had uh, some family friends. They they jumped on a ferry from Santander in northern Spain. They got on it in time, but um, because it takes twenty four hours, they arrived in the UK just too late to be oh. quarantine. So they had to go home and quarantine. Well, it wasn't so bad last summer because they could quarantine mm. at home. But to actually get caught out and end up having to go to one of these hotels for 10 days and have the enormous fee and, and the level of restriction you're going to have. I mean, how gruesome. You oh, just yeah. Imagine it Not even the allowed into the corridor. Suitcases. Yeah, suitcases full of dirty washing. <laughs> Great. You know, I mean, you know, ghastly. You know, so I, I just 
I think this is going to, if this remains in place over the summer, and as we said at the outset of this podcast, it's a very fluid situation, but there's every sign it will do. There's expectations among among many seasoned watchers of these sort of things saying, yeah, this could well carry on and be extended. Um, and certainly if you look at the political mood music right now, um, it's very much for putting the international borders up, and but trying to open up domestic business as much mm. as possible. Certainly for the UK, Germany too today um, there's all sorts of rumours that they're actually going to be closing their airports mm. and stopping flights I mean quite incredible and the, you know the intention of the German government to reduce air travel to near zero I mean mm. this is you know truly shutting down of of, of international um, mm. travel um, significantly worse than you know what we've got planned so far in the uk so if, if northern europe does this if all of europe does this we're just not going to be even spain's you know talking about um, putting restrictions in place so um it, it, there just isn't going to be any sort of uh, international travel um a, a very difficult situation for southern europe um from a from a tourism yeah. perspective um, with um, with northern europe we're going to see that boom because germany like the uk has a much bigger outbound market than it does an inbound market um, a potential massive boom in germany so too for most of northern europe be it the netherlands be it you know uh, belgium luxembourg up to the scandics you know all of that um the domestic market could well could well benefit from a summer of everybody being forced to stay at home um but um so it, it it's a very difficult time but i, th I think you know if, if we're talking about what um the this investor have done here in ter in in terms of their their assets they've bought uh, that's a long-term mm. play i mean this this what is likely to be a very difficult summer is probably baked in they probably knew it was going to be tough probably you're hoping it for it not to be as tough as it's currently well they did they are reckon to have had about but, a 10 to 15 percent uh covid haircut on the price anyway so yeah well that, that yeah out. um that's reflected in that and so um, and you know they've spent a lot of cash um um, um developing them so i i, I think for, for the, the i think the long-term prospects are very good there's clear appetite to get back on planes all this talk about people won't be traveling again is total nonsense from all of the all of the signs we can see it's just it, it's the supply issues we've got right now in terms of people mm. can't travel and I think inter-European travel is going to be okay um, because the, the low-cost airlines are gearing up for expansion. Wizz Air, Ryanair are really looking at this as an opportunity to grow market share. EasyJet's looking eyeing taking on the uh, traditional airlines the likes of BA and Lufthansa and so forth. So I, I think there's going to be capacity there. I think it's going to be tougher on the intercontinental flights. Price is going to be significantly higher. Um, but for the domestic European tourism market, so very tough um, for Southern Europe this year, beginning to ease up and, and see a significant rebound next year. And then we'll start seeing a real booming environment, I think, particularly if we get the economic tailwinds that um, I believe we are likely to and see. And one postscript I'd add about uh, setting up quarantine hotels, I do hope the UK government has read up and learnt the lessons from uh, Victoria down in Australia where um, uh, they've used hotel quarantines to good effect but the one particular hotel in Melbourne was responsible for spreading the Covid amongst the local community 
because although they were quarantining the individuals who were arriving very well in the hotel, uh, they weren't keeping an eye on what the security staff were doing, um, yeah. either mingling with the uh, the quarantining visitors or going out and doing other jobs in the evening, delivering pizzas, whatever, and spreading it, spreading the bug amongst the local populace. So um, a lesson to be learnt there. They had that issue. They had, uh, had that issue in New Zealand too, haven't they? It's one of the key areas of, that the uh, COVID's mm. been spread. I mean, it's, it's, it's not an uncommon thing. Um, the viral security of these lockdowns um, within the hotels are not not as good as mm. they might be. I think. Um, so, how effective this is? Yeah, I mean, the, the problem is, I think, it's the optics politically, um, and 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 governments are, are just need to be seen to be doing this. And the UK government, in particular, is coming under a lot fire for not having done that first time around and i think they're they're going to be make sure that they can't uh, be accused of failing um this time around so my suspicion is it's going to be a, a tight old time to be traveling um internationally uh, for most of this year on to our weekly five star and no star awards and i'm going to award the five star award this week to hyatt's european development team who appear to be gathering a, a decent slice of momentum they did they signed a couple of hotels in london at the back end of last year and in the very in the last week they've they've announced deals completed in tallinn in batumi in georgia and also um a sprinkling of hotels in sweden um i mean we know just get lined up so they all appear in one week that's just perhaps luck or just the results of months and months of of blood sweat and tears that all just happened to tumble in at the same time but uh, well done it feels like you're uh, going to be seeing plenty more hyats before too long hmm. i think this speaks very much to um uh, one of our key theme of, of consolidation and that the big brands are going to be the big winners out of this and hyatt is certainly looking to be one of the one of the winners and they've so shown a, a big appetite for europe i mean they were involved um in discussions with nh hotels for a long while um uh, and, and they're looking to do it on a more piecemeal basis at the moment i think but um who knows maybe they're looking for that uh, larger deal as mm. well um, down the track we'll see but so Certainly, I think um, that we're going to see a lot more um, 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 rapid growth amongst the big. The big and the No Star Award, regressively, has been pinned on the chest of KSL, owners of the Cameron House Hotel in Scotland, which burned down in 2017, claiming the lives of two guests. Um, a legal hearing in Scotland has, has learned that the, the fire was started by a porter who put ashes, uh, he'd just taken out of a fireplace, in a cupboard that was itself stacked with kindling and this was despite the fire brigade had previously warned the the hotel management that, that should not happen um, so such poor management really does the hotel sector at large no good hoteliers like to claim they meet higher health and safety standards than does an airbnb rental but uh, at cameron house that claim was clearly not met Indeed, and it's very gruesome. I think this speaks a lot to one of the risk factors, which is quite tricky to stick a pound, shilling and pence number on um, in terms of the reputational risk for mm. some of the investment firms involved in, in operational real estate assets. Um, and it's why a lot of institutional investors actually shy away from operational real estate. They just don't want to, to be exposed in this way. I mean, as a result of this, 
court hearing a number of the principals at KSL were personally named and uh, I suppose the, the next would be shamed um, 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 as a result of this now how much I mean the, the culpability they, they, they have as individuals I think is uh, um, is very questionable and well, also but, the, uh, um, the, the the company um, itself was was mentioned as being you know tax of a tax avoiding offshore well exactly yeah. and, and suddenly you come into yeah, the public eye awful. with that i mean you know they've got tax tax arrangements which um most real estate companies do engage with now whether they're right or wrong they're the, entirely the legal question is if you're going to leave yeah i mean infamously the hmrc the uk tax collector itself its own headquarters building was <laughs> offshored um and that was exposed and they had to some they had to deal with to deal with that one um so you know it's a very very common um position for for companies to be structured and investors to have their their affairs structured in such a way um and, and unfortunately it's also common to have that exposure to operational risk and you know certainly what i've seen of ksl they're pretty astute in terms of their operational expertise so it's quite disappointing but you know things do go wrong um, even to the best of um, um, uh, operators or um, uh, investors in operators more accurately um, and there is risk and sometimes this is the risk this is how the risk will manifest itself and 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 you know damage reputation so it, it's uh, how how much do you do you put on that how how much extra do you do you spend to ensure that you're not exposed to it if you're putting money into operational real estate assets you are and i think that only um reinforces the need to make sure you've got the right operating partner alongside and on that you. note we'll encourage you all to go off and check your rules and procedures and wish you bye for now <laughs>